powerful, isn't it? I mean, it's just incredible to see the kingdom of heaven mobilized. I think, I don't know if you think like me, that sometimes we just make it way too difficult, way too complicated than it is. It's just saying, here I am. I, I have time. I have resources. I have energy. How can I help someone out for the kingdom? It's just beautiful, and that's why we're really excited about City Lights, because we're hoping, man, we can illuminate lights in all our different communities and towns uh, throughout greater Dayton. Um, it's beautiful. Glad to be with you this weekend. Um, I'm going to ask a question, and it's totally rhetorical, because I feel it. Saturday service felt it. Last service totally felt it. I can could just feel it. Does all the information of this age wear you out? <laughs> right? Some of you coming in with anxiety, maybe stress, maybe there's some fear, overwhelming. It's exhausting, right? Amen, right? Um, and today you're going to hear us, we're going to talk about th this term, the wisdom of this age that Paul talks about in our text, and we'll get to that in a little bit. The wisdom of this age versus the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom of God. That these two are constantly at odds. And for many, I don't know how you would define wisdom. Some would say it's understanding. Some would say it's knowledge, it's information, IQ, emotional IQ, maybe it's experience. And the wisdom of God is on another level. With some of that, we take that into consideration, of course, but the wisdom of God transcends that. It's the mind of God, the eyes of God, the ears of God, the actions, the way Jesus lived. Living that out is the transcendent wisdom of God. And I came across this in my studies that it, for those who, who like to use knowledge and information to maybe orient your life, that's kind of where you seek wisdom. Um, a man by the name of Buckminster Fuller, anybody familiar with that name? Strong name. We're going to call him Bucky. Um, in 1982, in his book Critical Path, he's a futurist inventor, an American architect, he came up with the knowledge doubling curve. Listen to this. He noticed that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. We know that. The world seemed much bigger at that time. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. At the time of Fuller's book, which was 1982, knowledge was doubling at a rate of every 13 months. Today, things are not as simple um, as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology is doubling every two years, clinical knowledge every 18 months. But on average, human knowledge was doubling every 13 months. And Bucky passed in 1983, and IBM jumped in and updated the curve to represent today. With the, the combination of the digital age and the information age, IBM has said, now, knowledge doubles every 12 hours. In 2020, knowledge is doubling every, 20, 20, every 12 hours. It's this, this tidal wave of information and knowledge we are inundated with. It's a combination that we've been, uh, we're more connected than ever socially, so we share ideas, science, and medical inventions, uh, social media, all these things that go on to lend itself to this simple fact. Every 12 hours, what you know can, is doubling. They said that brings in another issue, which they call the half-life of knowledge. So you got all this new information, new content, but what about the information I had before? Is it obsolete? Is it irrelevant? Is it outdated? What is the half-life of knowledge? And so they say what happens is it creates this effect. They said like a tsunami. Picture a tsunami. As it builds more and more towards land, that wave gets bigger and bigger as the water gets shallower and shallower. And that's the information coming in that's inundating you on a daily basis. 
At the same time, we have a violent riptide going out as the water is receding and joining up with that tide. That violent riptide is what they would say is the half-life of knowledge. So you have all this information coming in. You have to reconcile it with the information you once had to try to figure out what is accurate, what is true in in an era of fake news and all this. My gosh, it's overwhelming and stress-inducing. In fact, I read an article in the Netherlands uh, that they're, the Corps of Engineers, the management level, they're actually diagnosing it called uh, information overload. That about 32% of, the, of their management level is saying, we are just inundated with so much information, we are so overwhelmed, anxious, and stressed out, I need a break. And they're diagnosing it. And everywhere we see that with all this knowledge coming in, it is leading to stress and anxiety. And if that is the way you orient your life and wisdom is based in that, you can see how it's ever evolving and shifting. And so in this, 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 this series, we're being, being radical without being weird. Is there just a transcendent wisdom that stands the test of time and the future as well? And we would say absolutely. And that's in Christ and that's in the cross. Alvin Toffler said this about the illiterate of the 21st century. With all this information coming in, the illiterate of the 21st century would not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. It's exhausting, all these things shifting at all times. So I thought it'd be kind of funny uh, as I reflect back, I wanted to reflect back on maybe the trends and fads of the past century. And so we're going to have some fun with this. Let's, let's roll through this. Is there anybody in here? Can you show of hands? You were born in the 20s and 40s. 20s and 40s, anybody? Yeah, maybe, one, maybe a few here. All right, so here's some of the things that were trendy and, and fad-based at that time. The drive-in theater came on the scene in the 20s, between the 20s and 40s. TV invented in 28. Sliced bread. 1928 was the first machine sliced bread sold. How did you have a good time then? Flagpole sitting. No joke. Started by Alvin Shipwreck Kelly, who was a professional stuntman. He did it on a dare in 1924, and it soon caught on nationwide. Became a spectator sport. He eventually set the world record at 49 days with a crowd of 20,000 people watching. 49 days, that cat sat out on flagpole. <laughs> Miniature golf took off in the 1920s. Stickball, stoopball, monopoly. You were swing dancing, dressing up in zoot suits and flappers and wingtip shoes. Uh, stamp collecting was prominent at this time, and so, so that's some of the trends and fads of that era. We got anybody from the 50s in here? 50s? You guys were playing with Silly Putty, Slinky, Ant Farms. You had Frisbees. You had Hula Hoops. Sideburns was a thing then, I guess. I guess that's when it officially came into existence. I don't know. Uh, potato Guns. Here's my personal favorite of the 50s. Telephone booth stuffing. <laughs> Long week. School was stressful. Guys... There's, there's, there's a great new telephone booth on the corner. Let's all meet there at, say, 7.30, and let's just stuff that thing. <laughs> Living it up. 60s. You had Barbie dolls. And then in 65, Beatlemania took the world by storm. Bell bottoms, cassette players, bouffant hairdos. You even had hipsters then that didn't like the bouffant hairdo, so they decided for the first time they were going to iron their hair. The first time. Lava lamps. You had go-go boots. You had mood rings, platform shoes, right? All kinds of good stuff. The twist was prominent then. 70s. We got some 70s people here? Yeah, give me it. I love it. Eight-track players, right? You had, you had cork pop guns, disco, your Saturday Night Fever, your ABBA, your Village People, your BGs, Happy Days. Hey, right? Pet rocks. I wish I was joking. 
One million sold in 1975 around Christmas. Star Wars in 77 makes its debut. You know the first official video game that was released in 1972? Anyone? Pong. Pong. Love it. And Atari followed in 78. 80s. This is the time to be alive. A little bias here, right? You had Breakfast Club or any John Hughes movie. We had Breakdancing, Care Bears, Garbage Pail Kids, Jelly Shoes, Nintendo, Sega, Transformers, G.I. Joe. We were saved by the bell. We had Ninja Turtles, Smurfs. We had WWF, Starter Jackets, Full House, and Seinfeld. What did basketball players, what was the fad of basketball players in the 80s? Oh no, why do we take it down so quickly? <laughs> Somebody gonna get fired? What's the problem? <laughs> the great thing is he was like, well, at least my my that fad's coming back, and it's kind of true. This fad, which was mine in the 90s, is definitely not coming back. Uh, silk shirts is not coming back. <laughs> Whose mom would dare do this to them? My mom couldn't wait to, to peddle these pictures for me this weekend. Silk shirts were a craze in the 90s, boy bands, fanny packs, grunge era, yeah, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. We had Netflix, kids, Netflix started as a subscription service where they mailed you DVDs. Yeah, I told a student that about blew his mind. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, my man Will Smith, we had the Rachel haircut, why? Friends, friends, Uh, yeah, we had PlayStation, we had Rollerblades. And 2000s came along, we, we threw in Facebook and MySpace, had a buddy here that met his wife on MySpace, it's amazing, Instagram was launched, iPads in 2000, iPods in 2001, iPhones in 2007, and boom, the launch of the digital age, and of course, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette was in there. <laughs> Way to follow that one up. I say all that, I have fun with that, I just like laughing with you guys, really, it's to show that, man... Throughout all of history, there have been fads and trends that have come and gone. In fact, we look back maybe when we were younger and say, man, my gosh, I'm a little embarrassed I dressed like that. I thought this was cool. That was the wisdom of your age, right? That was the wisdom of that age. That if you didn't do that, you'd almost be laughed off the scene, right? And and so if this is the way we're talking today about the wisdom of our age, if we orient our life and and our wisdom is based on that, you can see how that's ever evolving. And the goal is by the end of the day, man, we, we, we reassure, we reinforce the importance of the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be sitting up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you get your Bibles, open up. you got you version, uh, open it up to, to that section. And what we're going to do is we're going to sit there and walk through this and talk about some things. So I'm going to jump right in. Paul writes this. It'll be on the screens. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Some manuscripts proclaim to you God's mystery. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And so I want to stop there for a minute because I think we forget the challenge that Paul and the apostles faced taking this new message out into the the various cities and countries. N.T. Wright is one of the foremost uh, scholars in the New Testament, one of my favorites. I love reading him. He has a biography on Paul called Paul, a biography. And listen to his words about Paul and the challenges he faced. It is hard for any Christian to imagine this. After 2,000 years, most people in most cultures have at least a sketchy idea of what a Christian way of life might be, at least in theory. But when Paul arrived in a new town, there was no expectation, zero. Nobody had the slightest idea that there was a new way of life suddenly available, let alone what it might look like. 
Paul had to both inform and model it from scratch. In other words, every time Paul came into a new town or city and opened his mouth, he knew perfectly well that what he was saying would make zero sense. The Jewish people were wanting to see him perform signs and miracles because of his news, and the non-Jewish people would nearly laugh him off the stage over the thought of a crucified Messiah. In their minds, that's contradictory. For the non-Jewish world, which Paul was infiltrating with this message of Jesus, the suggestion that a Jew might be the new Lord over all other lords was bad enough. But a crucified man, everybody knew that was the most shameful and horrible death imaginable. How could such a person then be hailed as Lord? And if the answer was that God raised this man from the dead, that would merely convince his listeners that he was indeed out of his mind. Everybody knew resurrection didn't happen. A nice dream. Perhaps though many would have said they'd prefer to leave the body altogether. Thank you very much, Paul. You're crazy. The fact remains, I love this final rep, that Paul, to this point, made a career out of telling people things they would find either blasphemous or ludicrous or both. He had grown used to it. This was what he did. What a challenge. You can find the sequence of events in Acts 17 that takes him to Corinth. In that sequence of events from city to city, he gets imprisoned, beaten, laughed off the stage in Athens, and the, the rest of them are trying to protect him and move him from some city to city. And, he tell, and they tell him, hey, wait in Athens. We need to meet you in Athens. Stay there. You're, you'll be safe there. And while in Athens, he sees that at the Athenians, uh, they, they claim wisdom. Philosophy dominates the the Greco-Roman philosophers of the time dominated the society. Wisdom was knowledge. It was power. It was logic and reason. And during his time there, he noticed the Athenians, their temple, they had, they had altars to all the gods and even one to the unknown god. And he says, you know what? I'm going to step up and talk about that unknown god, but I'm going to use the wisdom of your age to help you grasp this. So it says he, he logic and reasoned with them, and by the end of it, they laughed him off the stage, it says, in contempt. And it says only a few accepted. And from there, he goes to Corinth, and now you get the gist of why this man is fearful and trembling. He also pivots from, hey, I'm not using the wisdom of this age anymore. He comes to Corinth, and he tells them, I knew nothing but the cross of Jesus. I gave you the cross of Jesus because the Spirit of God is going to be a power in those words. And so that sets the stage for this letter. So let's continue reading his words. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, and here it is, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What he says is, I came and taught the wisdom of God, which is the cross, which is Jesus, which was a mystery. Because here's the deal. From day one before creation, this was God's plan. Before he set the foundations of the earth, he knew that he was going to send Jesus to redeem his people. And it was a mystery because throughout all the Old Testament, even though prophets wrote about a day the Messiah would come, it was still a mystery. They didn't know what that day was going to look like, who that person would look like, what they would talk about. Then the New Testament comes and the Messiah is born. It's a mystery still. It's a mystery still for his followers until the resurrection and then it, that mystery is revealed. 
It's a mystery to the early church, and I would argue today it's still a mystery for many. Either they just don't get it, or they refuse to get it. And so today, in this ever-changing climate of fads and trends and wisdom and all that, there is a transcendent wisdom, but it's found in the wisdom of God. And so today, I, I sat down in preparation. I thought, what is the wisdom of this age? It was just me reflecting on not only my life, but the messages we hear on a daily basis. Uh, what I believe are, are these mixed messages that tend to hijack the transcendent messages of the kingdom. And so this is by no means exhaustive, but these are things that jumped out to me. You'll see them on the screens. I encourage you to take pictures because we have scripture references with each of them. On the left side, you're going to see a column for the wisdom of this age. On the right side, you're going to see a column for the transcendent wisdom of God, the counterpoint to the left column. And so we're going to walk through some of these, and I encourage you to take like an inventory of yourself. What are some of the things that maybe this, the wisdom of this age, the message of this age speaks into you that tends to hijack the message of Christ? And so let's walk through these. The first one is pretty loud and, and obvious because this has been something that's, that's been there from the beginning of time. The simple message that there is no God. The philosophers throughout all of history, whether you go all the way back to day one, you pick up in Marxism, Freudianism, Freudianism uh, whether it's secular humanism, it's John Paul and Sartre with existentialism. If it's today with the moral relativistic culture we live in, at the core there is no God. You are your own God. You decide your moral code. You decide your ethical code. And to me, that's a dangerous game. And on top of that, you don't, you don't impose your moral code on someone else. We all just live in existence with, you, with, with each other with all these different shifting moralities and, and ethics. But I'm also going to be the judgment of your moral code. And for me, it's like, man, here, I'm going to, I want to align myself with the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom that God says, I am. He says it in Exodus 3, that I am. Jesus echoes it in John 8, that he says, I am. I am God. There is God. Everything begins and ends with me. Everything revolves around me. Everything is in me and through me. I am. And with that, I orient my morality and my ethical code. The next one is, the wisdom of this age would seek the highest place. Do whatever you can to attain more, to, gr to climb higher, to get to the highest peak, to ascend the ladder of success. And I'm not saying that is bad. I'm saying it is bad when that's how you orient your life. The wisdom of this age would say, stack up the bodies to step on to get up there. The wisdom of the kingdom seeks the lowest place. That is Jesus' embodiment of leaving heaven, the highest place, stooping down to earth, being born, walking among us, going to, uh, to the cross, a lower stooping, going to the grave, descending into hell, and then back to heaven to, to bring us back to him. The wisdom of this age is, avoids biblical conviction. Obviously, it makes sense. If there's no God, why do I need your Bible? It's just a nice historical book. It's antiquated. The transcendent wisdom of God, if this is you, if you orient your life to the wisdom of God, you adore biblical conviction. Conviction is not a word we like to use. That For me, the Bible, when I sin, I believe it is the breath of God that is the nourishment to my soul, and it helps me chip away at the false self of me, what the world speaks into me and says, you know, Eric, you need to orient yourself to this. And guys, it constantly happens in my life where there's anxiety and stress that'll come in, and it's a mixed message of this world where I've got to sit down in the words of God and let this wash over me. It convicts me. No, Eric, that's not how you're supposed to be. Align yourself with the kingdom ethics. 
It also reinforces me, it encourages me, it strengthens me as I read these words. The next one is, the wisdom of this age trusts in material wealth, right? This is obvious. Every product you see, over 4,000 ads a day saying, you need to buy this, it's going to make you happier, more successful, you'll be accepted. And storage units left and right are getting bought up, a multi-billion dollar industry to, to, to just material wealth. And the wisdom of the kingdom is trust in heavenly wealth, where Jesus just says, hey, don't store up for yourselves where moth and rust destroy. Or thieves break in and steal, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. The wisdom of this age is boastful, bombastic. I mean, we could see this in social media, loud, just being prideful and arrogant, and just being as loud as we can and boasting in, in our accomplishments, boasting in our platforms and what we stand for. And, and the wisdom of the kingdom is slow to speak. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. I would say another one, slow to type. Right? <laughs> well, that's a hard one, cats, isn't it? That's a hard one. Because you know what? When you got that open in front of you and that face is not there on the other side of you, it is so easy to just mm, blast it out there and blast that person. Makes it easier to step into the wisdom of this age. Wisdom of this age is prideful versus humility, right? Pride is at the center of every transgression and, and sin. It's the replacing of God's will with my will. Humility is literally the, the message of the cross. It's Jesus in the upper room washing his disciples' feet. Why? Because he likes clean feet? No, right? It's, hey, I'm giving you an example to live by. Go and serve. Wash the feet of those you come in contact with. The wisdom of this age seeks power and strength. Strong. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking, hey, getting your gains on, okay? I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is when you orient yourself around power and, and, and you, you know, overwhelmingly going after this strength, the, the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom is seeking meekness, vulnerability, clothe yourself in gentleness. Blessed are those who are meek. They will inherit the earth. The wisdom of this age is accumulate versus the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom is disseminate. Like I said, a multi-billion dollar industry to just storing our stuff more and more and more. Build it up more and more and more. That's the only way I'm going to be secure and safe. The wisdom of the kingdom is disseminate. We talked about it months ago, about if I believe everything belongs to God and I've been blessed and resourced with this, it's easy for me to redirect it to those in need because it's not mine. The wisdom of this age is speed, hurry, rush, get to the next thing, move on to the next thing. Even listen to your book, fast forward on Audible so you can get on to the next one, right? Hurry up, let's go. I would say that's one of the biggest vice that the enemy uses today. Because if I can rush you to your grave, man, let me get you there quicker. Don't stop to smell the proverbial roses. Don't lean into the only minute that we are guaranteed, or the second is right now. The kingdom is slow. You see this in Jesus. He's slowly moving around, connecting with people, talking with people. He is not rushing from one person to the next. It's Martha and Mary. Mary's sitting with him and enjoying that time. The wisdom of this age is inner power. Dig down deep. Get the willpower. Just stuff it up. Let's do this. The transcendent wisdom of the kingdom is his power. And what I mean by this is the right side column, Eric cannot actualize that on my own. There's no willpower or just determination that's going to live that out. It's the spirit living in me. It's Christ in me that helps me actualize that column. It's the only way. And Paul talks about it as well in Philippians. The wisdom of this age is vengeance versus mercy. It's judgment versus forgiveness. That's the cross. It's 
stands glaringly in support of mercy and forgiveness. I love that we did this challenge there in worship of noise versus solitude. Noise, 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 right? Like the Grinch says, right? Noise, 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 noise. But we think that's audible, it's verbal. No, it's every outlet that is feeding us with information. That's noise, and it's hard to separate that. The solitude is so important to tap into the transcendent wisdom of God. We have to remove distraction. Jesus himself removed distraction, remember? He stepped away from his followers. He stepped away from the crowd, went to the mountain in a time of quiet solitude and prayer with the Father. He needed that. The message of this age is hyper-individualism. Just I, just I, let's go, just me, let's go. The message of the kingdom is support, it's us. I didn't put references there because literally all of Scripture is written to the church, us. It's for us, written by the divine author who is three and one. Community, it's we, God, Son, and Holy Spirit. The next one is pretty straightforward, self-centered, my choice, my wants, my needs, my way, hyper-narcissistic culture we're in. Social media lends itself that way, right? i got to take the best picture, make the best post in this instant so everybody can see how perfect it is, my life. Christ-centered is his desires, his leading, his choices, his actions, his way. That's why I said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that is super difficult, right? It's hard to say, I'm going to deny myself. This left column is all to self, all to self. Deny that and, and take up the Christ way. The next one is this culture, the heightened sense of sexual liberation. The goal is freedom, freedom to live in my sexuality no matter what. No boundaries, no nothing. Get on Tinder, Bumble, Grinder, and just live it up, man. Connect and live out of this desires in your fleshly nature. The distinctions of the church are sexual integrity, the, the transcendent wisdom of God. That was one of the early distinctions of the church back when Paul and them and that were, were getting the church growing. It was the need for sexual integrity, boundaries, and a culture that had none. The message of this age is never be satisfied, never be satisfied. When the message of cross and Jesus and the transcendent wisdom of God is contentment. Be content in all things, because Jesus is enough. The wisdom of this age is impulsivity and instant gratification, right? This is at any moment. You know this. We love Amazon Prime. I love Amazon Prime, right? At any second, whatever comes across your mind that you've got to have. Listen, whether it's a product or it's a vice, you can get it right now in an instant because we have smartphones in our pockets. And so the enemy loves using that impulsivity, instant gratification. Why delay? Why delay? And the transcendent wisdom of the kingdom is patience and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Slowing down, being patient, putting boundaries on. Self-control. And the last one that I came up with is, is we live in an age of just helping yourself. And self-help's good. I'm not saying no. I mean, counseling, the psychologists, and all those things are great. That's, that's important for self-help. What I'm saying is, man, don't orient yourself. Just a revol- the, the world revolves around you. And, and the kingdom, the transcendent wisdom is helping others. And how many times in helping others do we also help ourselves? Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the kingdom ethic to care for others, to love others. I'll wrap up all this with this quote. It's, you can possess all the wisdom of this age and possess nothing of the wisdom of God. You can possess all the wisdom of this age. And it looks pretty good. It's like Jesus saying, no, it's, it's building your foundation on sinking sand versus building your foundation on me, which is the rock. The sinking sand looks nice. It gets me closer to the water. And when things are beautiful, it looks great. But when that storm comes, my gosh, this was a bad decision. Possess all the wisdom of this age and possess nothing of the wisdom of God. How do you tap into the wisdom of God? This isn't something that's just like, boom, I've got it. Only the spiritual elite have it. It's like a muscle you have to work out. Solomon talks about it in Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, said, God, please grant me wisdom. You want me to lead your people? I need your wisdom. And he writes these letters to his kids. He says, it's my child. Listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For here it is. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. In that time, it was understood. When you speak of wisdom, you're speaking of God's wisdom. It was understood. If you were wise, it's because you considered the things of God. As Solomon knew, much like all the way throughout all of history, that there's going to be mixed messages that try to hijack the message of God. And so it says the source is God. His mouth, his mouth comes, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So how do we tap into his words and who he is? It's the spirit that Christ has given to you. It's why Jesus said, I must leave. Remember, his followers were like, please don't leave, please don't leave. He's like, I have to leave. It's for your advantage. Because when I leave, I will send the helper who is his spirit that resides in us. The spirit helps us illuminate the wisdom of God. We'll wrap up with this by saying, here's how we do it. We wholeheartedly believe it here at Southbrook because Jesus embodied it. How do we connect with the spirit to search the things of God? It's through the five S's. It's solitude that Jesus embodied. And solitude is quiet. So we reduce the noise. We pray. Scripture is the next one where I sit under the words of God, the breath of God, and let it pour under me as I read through that. And I'm reminded, okay, this is what the wisdom of God is. Let me get back to orienting myself around that. It's service where we get outside of ourselves and we serve others. And when we do that, we're serving others and we're showing them that we care and we love them. And at the same time, it helps us. But at the same time, God is speaking in those moments. It's support of healthy people around you who understand the wisdom of the kingdom. And they want to actualize that in their life as well. That you come around and help each other. Iron sharpens iron. And it's the significant events of our life where God speaks and moves in the highs and the lows and using those to connect with the Spirit. I know many people say, Eric, man, I don't have the time for this. That is a problem. (laughs) That's a problem, but you have to be intentional. You have to create it. You have to remove things. And maybe you don't know how. I've had people say, I don't know how to read Scripture. I don't know how to pray. And we're excited because Ryan Massey, our pastor of discipleship here, has come up with, with an event here in March that I'm excited about. 
March 6th and 7th, we have this 5S workshop. I love this. For two days, you can sign up at southbrook.org, 25 bucks, meals included. Here's what we're doing. I say we because I get to play a part in this. Uh, Charlie's going to be teaching on the second day. There's going to be teaching on the first day. There'll be some worship in there. But what we're going to do is we're going to break out into workshops. I love this. And my workshop's actually solitude. I'm going to talk on solitude. And it's not a lecture. This isn't a lecture. It's we'll talk briefly, and then I'm going to just say, hey, here's some things that have worked for me. Here's some tools that I use. In each one of these workshops, it'll be someone uh, just dispensing some tools that might be helpful for you and some practices. No longer. Don't make it this, this excuse. This is what's a con- that's just the paradox of the time we live in, the heightened information age, yet we just struggle with, how do I start? How do I begin? So I encourage you to sign up for that. As we wrap up, I want to remind you up front and in the back, we have communion. And, and communion is a great way for you to kind of instill this solitude, to sit down and just reduce the noise and spend some time reflecting on Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll be out of here. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Southbrook. I thank you for this church and its mission. Lord, I thank you for Paul, that he was so radical for you, though. Oh, my gosh, I could not imagine... um, the cities and the communities in the world that he moved through and just to share this new message of hope and this new way of life. I thank you for him. I thank you for his words that speak to us 2,000 years later about the need to resist the wisdom of this age. That, is it a, that it's a lie. That it robs the truth that the transcendent wisdom of the cross and of you and of Jesus is the way to live. That is the life abundant. We thank you for your sacrifice and what that means for a relationship with us. We pray for a great week as we move out of here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Southwood.